Unloose the goose. We'll take no views. Your paradigms run out of time and we've got no use. Unloose the goose. Welcome to Unloose the Goose episode 69. I probably should have just skipped this episode because there's all sorts of nerds in the background going <laughs> right now, but that's okay. We are too. We are too. We thought we'd go back to our roots today and talk about something that we've already covered, but from a different angle, and that's cities. So early on when the podcast started, we were talking about what, like it was inspired by Curtis Stone saying, hey, what? What if we were building things without the rules in place or the systems in place? How would we do it? Because what's in place is total bullshit. And there's no, and a lot of us are permaculturists. And how would we do it all differently? And I thought, you know, we've talked a lot in the last few months about freedom and some other cool things, but we haven't really talked more in the what if sphere. We've been talking about more about using what is and finding loopholes around things and that sort of thing. So today we get to dream. We're going to talk about how can cities work? No rules, blank slate. If a city was going to pop up, how would it work? Because the current cities are, are breaking down right now. The really big cities are breaking down for a lot of different reasons and I'm not sure how much those reasons matter other for this discussion other than the context of, but what would work. Before we jump into that, though, I want to start by introducing who's on today. Today, we've got John Bush. Tell everybody hi, John. Hey, howdy. Hey, okay, we've got Brian Norton. Hey. Hello. Jack Spierko. Hey, all. Clearly not Neethi Bali, the only other lady on the panel right now. It's Nicole Sauce here. So that is everybody on the show today, and I wanted to know, because a lot of you were off between Christmas and New Year's, how was your break? Did you guys actually take a break? No. Maybe for like a day on Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> but I had my kids and a couple businesses, so stayed busy. Although there was some time to hang out with family. I always appreciate hanging out with my family. They're super super groovy and they get it quite a bit, although they still go along to get along. So there's that bit of tension with me feeling all frustrated that they're not, you know, rallying. I guess I'm not rallying in the streets, but they're not doing more to opt out, but I, it was a great winter break and I really enjoyed it. Awesome. Ryan, how was your winter break? You ran on the goose the whole time. So I'm not sure you got a break either. I kept it going a little bit. Um, I took the solstice day. 110% off, and it was that was awesome. Um, yep, had a great Christmas. Uh, we had snow apocalypse, uh, eight inches of snow in Seattle, and a deep, deep freeze, so it shut the whole city down, which was great. No one was running around doing anything, so no reason to go out. Yeah, it's kind of nice to have snow apocalypse when you have time for it, as long as all your stuff doesn't get broken. Jack, how was your break? To quote Peter Gibbons from the movie Office Space. I did. Ev- I did absolutely nothing, and it was everything I dreamed it could be. <laughs> that good. I, I had a really long break. I shut down about three days before Christmas, and I didn't come back till third of January. Um, and I'll say, as much as I enjoyed doing nothing in the last couple of days, I was kind of like, 
I, I, I got I to do something. You know, you get into that point. But the first full week of it, I, I did almost nothing. I mean, even like little ideas I had of like things that would get done around the property. If, if something wasn't going to die or break, I did nothing. I sat on my ass. I spent time with my wife. It was fantastic. I recommend everybody do it once in a while. Yeah. Jack takes real breaks, real discipline, boundary breaks. I'm impressed. I'm old as shit now, too, though, so I have to, you know. The breaks are great. I managed to take a better break this year than last year, but I still kind of came out of it. I noticed Brian was running on Loose the Goose by himself, so I hopped on one of his shows. Yeah, so he wouldn't be by himself with John Pugliano, and that was a fun discussion. And then um, one of my good friends sent out an email to 20,000 people about Hollow Roast Coffee on Monday of my break. So... Orders came in, which was nice, but then I was like, oh, these people have never ordered coffee for me. They don't know I'm on break, and so I ended up jumping into the roaster and doing some stuff. Other than that, it was really good, and it's. I think it's really important to get that reset however you can get the reset, whether it's a break like Jack and I like to do around Christmas or shutting down in other ways. I'm getting to the point now where one day a week I just want to take my phone and just, like, throw it in the corner and turn it off and, and, and not even do anything. But that is what it is. What's everybody drinking tonight? Kratom. I'm almost embarrassed. Kratom. Shocking, John Bush. Coors. Coors, Coors light. Coors but the mountains are blue, so you know it's cold. Oh, that was pretty fancy innovation they got there. Scrambling you on some coffee or what? I went crazy and added mocha powder. Ooh. Ooh, <laughs> mocha powder. You know, be damned. Oh, yeah. I've got this wonderful decanter with some four roses in it. It's, it, you know, good things come in decanters, or at least you feel fancy. So. Four roses is good good stuff, though, by itself. I mean, it, it it's nice in the decanter, but you don't need it. It's, it's I know. You said it was like like your house bourbon, which I guess for you that is your house bourbon. But if you go to a bar and you're like, I'll take a house bourbon, trust me, you're not getting four roses. You're getting like Billy Willie's bathroom tilly. I mean, like you're not you're not getting that. Billy Willie's bathroom tilly needs yeah. to be yeah. bathroom bourbon, bro. Trademark. <laughs> <laughs> the Lots Project. Coors Light is sex in a canoe. Both oh. fucking close to water. We've all heard that one. Right, so <laughs> cities. Cities, cities, cities. Cities don't work very well. I've lived in cities and loved it. I, The city I most recently lived in and had a great neighborhood and could walk to bars and it was really awesome was Portland, Oregon. Portland, Oregon isn't working so well anymore. <laughs> if you are, if you turn off the TV and you're just doing your thing and work for yourself in the suburbs of Portland, I bet it's still just as great as my buddy lives in uh, South Lynn. You know, yeah, his office. All is- my friends in the suburbs are like, there's no problem. All my friends close to the inner have moved. They've like literally sold and moved. Yeah, it's like a black radiating shit, right? It, it like it's square the distance is the half the craziness. You know, you don't have to go far to get away, but you have to go somewhere. So, why do you think cities aren't working? Just for the purposes of setting the stage for this discussion, why don't you think cities work now? 
takes it is up. Government. Yeah. Okay. Elaborate on that, Jack. Because well, so like part of what makes cities a problematic from a standpoint of government, not that government's not problematic everywhere, is that the more people that you cram into a place, the more people you try to accommodate, and therefore the more individuals' rights you violate to accommodate the other individuals' desire to have things a certain way. Um, the, the other issue is that, and we've talked about this before with cities, is the number one thing that causes people to move to cities is security, right? And, and people say, well, it's jobs and opportunities. Well, that's security, right? Or, you know, family and community. Well, that's security. Like all of those things are things that provide security in your life. So people that are more predisposed to want others to provide security to them, which is, you know, food, which is employment, which is you know, basic protection that we all actually want, all of it tend to gravitate more toward larger population centers. So you get people who are predisposed to wanting to outsource their security to others, con- concentrate themselves in cities, and then they use the leverage that comes be- from being a majority in a democracy to gain more control of government, which is then exercises more control over individuals. And, and that's one of the, that's not the only, I got a lot to say tonight. That's not one of the only problem, but that is one of the larger problems. That's kind of the one that's up in your face problems. And then when those apparatuses that provide that security begin to fall apart uh, due to just basic atrophy, then that security fails. And then you have higher crime rates in a place where people expect to have more security. So now we need more government, which failed in the first place to provide for more security that we're never going to have. And why do you have the crime rate? That's the thing. More people, more crime. People don't have security. More people, so more people crime. Yeah. If ten percent of people are douchebags, and you have a community with a thousand people in it, you have basically a hundred douchebags. And then of those hundred, there's only a, a certain number who are going to be willing to actually act on their douchebaggery because of basic fear that if they break in John Bush's house, he's going to hit him in the head with a hammer or you know what have you, and like. So there's a basic fear, and then there's fear of law enforcement and, and the, the, the societal measures that are done to suppress that, and then some will still act anyway. But if you live in a place with 100,000 people, now you've got 10,000 douchebags. You've got a lot more total number willing to act out. And then when, the, when we get into a place where society has empowered others to provide security, when that begins to fail, that, then all of them come out of the ground and start causing trouble. Right. It's the, it's literally the rise of the zombies. All of a sudden, the zombies aren't afraid anymore. The sun went down. Let's go out and, and wreak havoc. And, and that's one of the, the crime problems. But then once the crime starts, it cascades into everything else because then people stop taking care of their property. People, people stop taking care of their neighbors. The more you can rely on government to do a thing, the more the less you need to worry about taking care of your neighbor. Where, where I grew up in a really small town, it was like thirteen hundred people. If anybody had a problem, there were 10 people there like the next day to see what they could do to help. Where you have places where there's 20,000 people living in a suburb of a city and their next door neighbor has a problem and they, they call code enforcement to fix the problem instead of going over and saying, can I help? It's, it's human nature. Once we start paying somebody else to do a thing, we don't want to do it anymore. And that's what taxes are, is paying somebody else to do a thing we should do for ourselves. Okay, so problem with current cities is increased douchebaggery due to population increase. 
um, regulations getting in the way of people just doing what they could do, the tax structure making it so we feel like we've outsourced something and why the fuck isn't the government doing the thing we outsource? Somebody else earlier said death to HOAs. I'm not sure I agree with that. An HOA could work. I don't want to be in one. Well, I am in one, though, really. I'm just not in a formal one. But I, On the HOA, before you go on that, like I hate HOAs right now. Mm-hmm. If we got rid of government or at least minimized government, I wouldn't have a problem with HOAs because let's say that John was a pain in the ass. He's not, but let's just say that he wasn't. He wanted all types of control in his neighborhood. And like I wanted to live like one of the trailer park boys, and Brian wanted to live somewhere in the middle. Well, if we didn't have government creating this overreaching over our controlling all three of our lives, then John could move to the pain in the ass HOA one. I could move out to you know rural Jabip. And Brian could move somewhere in the middle, and we could all rest assured this is the big thing. We can do that now. But if we didn't have this interference, we could all rest assured that the place we went to would pretty much kind of be that way. At least our piece of it would be that way until we decided we wanted to change it. Isn't that how Houston is? Yes, to be fair. Houston Houston is my favorite big city I've ever lived in. And... The reason is, A, it was more bikeable than Portland, Oregon. So, and I like bicycle. So, I bicycled to work. If you don't die in the heat. Right. If you don't die, the heat's a different thing. But, and the reason is, instead of putting bike paths on roads with busy cars, they would, they would route the bikes around in the neighborhoods. Yep. So, it was just more pleasant. And because you could find a neighborhood for anything based on their HOA system. John, do you got any problems to throw into the hat before we move on to the next thing? Yeah, I think there's a cultural distinction between city dwellers and folks that are outside in the country. And, and Jack hit, hit on it. There's all these there's an abrogation of responsibility. So it's just a different type of person. Uh, whereas in the country, like we just moved out to the country, I guess, seven months ago from the city. And we lived in, I lived in the city of Austin my entire life. And just more recently, we were living in a tiny home community that my fiance uh, is the sales manager and customer care manager. And a lot of the folks that are attracted to this tiny home community tend to be either liberal millennial types or liberal empty nester types or liberal retired couples. And it's just a completely different vibe with where we live now, which is out in the middle of the country. And uh, we're anchored near a, a much smaller town of Bastrop, which is completely different culture. And uh, the neighbors that we have right next door to us, they fly a big Trump flag, a big Israel flag, too. Uh, and they're great people. And as soon as the, you know, they, they got our phone number from the previous owner, the previous owner was good friends with them. Uh, we visited with them. They came over on Rebecca's birthday. They met my family. They're super friendly, super social. It's an older couple. Uh, we had a horse that died that was staying on our property, got hit by a car. That was a disaster. Uh, I called them. They showed up. The old man pulled his tractor out, and we dragged the horse back to his property, buried it on his property. And it's just there's just a different attitude that I think Jack really hit on a whole lot. Uh, on the one hand, you have this kind of ninny, almost sissy culture. And then on the other hand, you just have more rugged individualism, more supportive. And, of course, this is a generalization. Um, I do think it's cool too. These folks, uh, 
they were, we were talking to them and they're like, we, we didn't take the shots. No, we're not going to take the shots for religious reasons. You know, the whole mark of the beast. Right. And I was like, yeah, these are my people. You know, they're coming at it from a different angle. We're like World Economic Forum, Great Reset Technocracy. They're like, it's the book of Revelations, dummy. It's been it's been there in, in plain sight for so long. But anyway, it's just a different type of person. And I think when it comes to freedom and self-sufficiency, it's better to be out out in the country. Obviously. You know, there's an interesting thing you just said there, John, though, about like the people saying they don't want the jab because of the uh, mark of the beast or whatever. I, I find it interesting that like anybody that opposes something being forced on somebody can be is somebody you can get along with. Right. Because th- even if they don't care or they don't agree with why you don't want to do it. Yeah. What they agree with is you shouldn't have to. And I think that's a big problem. Like when we get into cities, we get into such a, a, a mindset of tribalism that everybody has to conform to what or comply with whatever it is. Right. Where when you get into a position where I don't care why you don't want to do a thing, if you don't want to do a thing, you don't think other people should have to do it either. In, in general, I guess you should say. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I think a big problem with cities is that people think things are their business that aren't their business and then want to control it. And most things are none of your business. Yeah. I mean, you may look at it interested, but like the decision somebody makes about if they put a needle in their arm or not is not your business. And that needle can have the vax and that needle can have heroin. I don't care. It's not your business. You Agreed. know, your friend putting heroin, shooting up heroin, you may be like, hey, man, that's probably not a good idea, but that's about all you can do. Yeah. Okay. Where have you guys lived as far? Okay. So I've lived in Seattle. Minneapolis, Detroit, Chicago, Pittsburgh, uh, and I built a house in Phoenix. Um, so I've seen a lot of different iterations of cities. Um, and I think somebody came by here earlier was talking about the age of a city or the how the city was founded or what it was founded upon. Um, super different, right? Either they're like ethnic enclave founded, right? Like Chicago was like... It's it's uh, Irish to this street, and you're like, fuck, it's a hundred years later, and it's still to that street, and then it starts the next one. Like, uh, that's how Philly is. Philly's like that. Yeah, yeah, all the east stuff, right? And then you go to the central, and then when you come out west, shit, the tallest building in Seattle in 1970 was 30 stories. People come out here and they look around, and I'm like, you don't get it. There's all this craziness that there is back east, but it all looks shiny and new. Because this whole city's only 30, 40 years old. Um, so, wow. What, what it was built around, right? It was a built around an industry. Like all of Seattle pretty much was built around Boeing. So, you have this huge wave of houses that were all built in the 40s and 50s um, that are all like fucking. Just anyway, there's. Cities evolve by, yeah. So anyway, that's kind of the, there's good and the bad in every city. It's almost the same everywhere. Just different versions of the game, depending on how you're, how you, if, once you can see it, you can see the pattern. Yeah. And I lived for a time in a European city, but it's a small city of Freiburg, Germany. And when, what I've always been struck by having lived there is they have a pedestrian only zone. And they have a lot of, they've done different things with transit than we do in the U.S. And part of that is by nature of the density of how people live there. So there's really high density there. But then those more medieval cities 
kind of grew organically before city planning happened, right? And so it's interesting how that works a little bit differently. And what I what I experienced in Freiburg from a community standpoint, because one of my big issues with cities is it's really some cities are impossible to build true community with. You just ignore your neighbors. You don't know anybody. You outsource anything. If, if I'm being beaten up on the street, somebody's not going to help me. If I'm being beaten up out here, somebody's going to come help me. And God help you, by the way. So... <laughs> That's because I know who it's going to be. <laughs> you don't want that. The new cities were built for efficiency, but, right? Huh? They were built for efficiency of transit. Yeah, but, but well, I mean, Freiburg, not so much, but they figured it out. And then they they have these really narrow streets because in medieval times, you didn't need a really wide street. And that's become a pedestrian-only zone. And that's that's heavy regulation that's made that happen. You are not allowed to drive a car there. But it worked better than Portland, Oregon, where I grew up, or Washington, D.C., which is where I've lived, or Nashville, Tennessee. Because it's like we've got this weird mindset in in a lot of American cities where it's built for isolation rather than community. Yeah. But, you know, like, like Brian said, there's good and bad everywhere. Like, if there's a place I detest in the United States probably more than any other place, it is the rotten den that is... Washington, D.C. But I'll, I'll say this, even though I don't like saying this, I don't like giving them credit for anything. The D.C. Metro trains are proof that you can build mass transit that's useful. And the key is you have the train go from where people live to where people shop and work and back, right? Freaking shocking as hell, but that's what you do. You have a main line coming in, and then you have four lines going out. I, I used to work the Northeast region. I was VP of sales for a company called Fluke Networks. And I would, instead of flying down to D.C., I would drive down to Philly. I'd get on an Amtrak, come right into the middle of D.C., and I could meet my sales reps anywhere in the whole D.C. metro, Virginia, Maryland area. I could get on a train. I could be there in five to ten minutes. And it actually worked. And, you can and just it walk. worked well. And it was crazy to me. It's like, holy shit, these people did something that <laughs> I'm not going to say right, but it works, you know, and people pay to ride it. It's not free. So it's self-funding, at least to a degree. It's like, okay, this works. And then we have a, we have a mass transit system in Dallas, Fort Worth. No, it's free. Basically you're supposed to pay, but it's on on your honor. So you can literally get on it and go anywhere you want for free. Nobody uses it because it doesn't go from where people fucking live to where people fucking work and shop. You would think it was a big, one of the biggest airports in the country, Dallas-Fort Worth. Can't fucking get there on it, right? You got two giant cities, Dallas and Fort Worth. Can't get between the two cities, can't get to the main airport. But we have a mass transit system. Like, yeah, and yet we, we are, we are we're, I'd rather live here than there. But they did something right that we can't, we can't find our own ass to do right. They did the same thing in Austin with the red line. It goes to their desired growth zone where there's hardly <laughs> any population because they have this like Agenda 21 regional planning body called yep. in Central Texas. And it's in bed with all the corporate players and the developers and the attorneys and the politicians. And not only do they do it for desired growth zones, but guess where the desired growth zones are, where all the stakeholders have property in, mm. in investments and stuff. So it's a... It's nonsense. And then they try to do it every like every two or three years. They try to create 
this big public-private partnership thing, and they do all these bonds, and it always gets defeated. It's a total fail, and so we're just stuck with terrible traffic. I guess they're stuck with terrible traffic. I'm not there anymore, so that's good. Portland had a pretty good bus system for a long time, and then they put in light rail, which is designed to be slow transportation. Light rail is slow and expensive. And then they same thing. They put all these lines in thinking they were going to, you know, send people out to these places. And it turns out two things. One, it's slow transportation. So some people got in their cars instead who were taking buses. And then secondly, it provides a getaway for criminals. So within a mile of that line, the crime rate rate way up. So if you get light rail to your neighborhood, it's kind of a, a death. Uh, you know, like it's like, oh great, we can have gangsters coming out here and break in, jump away. on the train, go down two stops, and get away. Wow. Yeah. My getaway driver be the state. I'm gonna be a <laughs> congressman next. So expensive, slow, and a, yeah, a conduit for crime. Really good times. So why do we need cities anyway? So we've got three rurals in a city on this this discussion. Poor Brian's holding up the fort for cities. Wave your flag, Brian. I come on. I used to live right by the L in Chicago. I mean, you paid extra to be by the stop because you could go anywhere. You know, nice transit is a and being able to walk, being flat is a good thing for a city. So if we're going to build a new city somewhere, you know. It's good to have stuff to do rather than look at the grass die or the crops slowly grow. Okay. Now Jack identified the problem, right? As the, like the cities attract so many people because of the security trade off for the like money because the cash flow and all that. Right. But then you have the democracy breakdown of the people that come to, to use the system voting themselves more and more shit until the, the collapse of the system is inevitable. So we said, bring solutions. So mine is only stakeholders get to govern and vote in the new city. You have to own something. And maybe like if you own a business in the city, your vote doesn't count as much as somebody who owns property and lives in the city. Right. Cause in the weighted vote. City, yeah. Like weighted a weighted vote. vote right. Because People that own businesses in my city that don't live in my city don't give an F what happens at five o'clock when they go home as long as they pay the cops enough to make sure their particular store is there in the morning, right? So, But they don't get to vote in the city already because they're not city residents. So they're voting at the state or county level, but they're not voting at the city level. Yeah, you're right. Okay, yeah, yeah. So they're not even voting in that at all. They're not even you're voting at the city dollar and donate to a candidate, I guess. Yeah, well, that they can do, right? They can have tremendous impact on the election without voting. And I think that's the that's a different question, right? That's a fundamental problem with what we call democracy. Like, my checkbook could have more impact on the outcome of my local elections. Even my check, and I'm serious, my checkbook is as little money as I have. I can have more impact by writing checks to local candidates than I can by voting. Grassroots activism, too. Money and going out and mobilizing votes and stuff. Yeah, so what's the governance structure for a city so it doesn't just like, you know, the Section 8 people that get moved in or come in just take it over because they just... Well, you're assuming we have Section 8, right? If we have a blank slate, do we have Section 8? I think... Well, do we? Because... 
let's say we uh, we got a blank slate, and they say, Jack, Nicole, Brian, John, you guys can build your city, and we won't fuck with you directly, right? Okay, great. Yeah, that's awesome. We start building Jack, Nicole, John, Brianville. And great somebody name. comes in and says, I want to buy this land, and they buy it. We can't stop them, or can we? But let's say we, land, we buy it, land, and they, but- we put a Section 8 housing thing in, and, and they start putting people in there. Like, that has not that doesn't actually have a lot to do with the city's government in of itself. That's If you're going to have property rights... But they're now yeah, residents I, of the city, so they're going to vote in the next cycle. So in the next cycle, is, when they just say to be like, clear, this has happened. I saw this destroy small cities that were pretty good places to live, like Allentown, Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. was right. one of the best places to live. Then the steel industry fell apart, and then the, the town kind of had problems, but it was still okay. And then massive amounts of people were actually exported from New York and the surrounding New York boroughs under Giuliani's cleaning up the city. And the government of Allentown got a bunch of money to take these people in under Section 8 and other things. And then, but the money only lasted for a time. But the people last forever. So they bring these people into these housing projects and things like that. They have all the surplus money to do other things, but also to like actually make sure that they have a decent place to live. Well, then the money goes away, and then the housing projects that weren't great become worse. Now you're stuck with that burden, and the money's gone. And so that was kind of like that looked like a that was one of those public private partnerships that did that, right? Yeah, we call that fascism. So I think we could design a city. I don't know, but then like there's designing a city. And then there's defense of the city. And in the days of the citadels, the defense was a wall to keep the barbarians from coming in. Today, there's your there's one of your potential invaders just invading through uh, fiat directly, through fiat currency, right? If I can buy it, then I control it, and then I can import to it. Right. But if we have a blank slate, do you build that defense in? And what does yes. that look like? Right? So how do you what, – what, what's that defense? Is it that – I in the city, there's an approval process from the people already in the city. Or your source of income can't be a government a government payment. Maybe right. like your stakeholder idea, Brian. Well, maybe maybe you could do something with okay, to have a vote, you have to contribute to the tax base. Maybe it's one person, one vote, right? But you 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 can't be and then you have to make some, like, because we have to accept the world we live in, right? I wouldn't apply that to somebody that's worked their whole fucking life and they're on Social Security, right? I wouldn't I wouldn't do that. But the person that literally has no income, never does not have a job, and is on complete 100% handout assistance, I don't know that you get to, to have a voice in how we run things at that point. I know that sounds horrible, but... It, I, I think it would alleviate a lot of problems. Like maybe your stake is that you are some, and maybe it's not money directly. Maybe it's like you create, okay, I don't have a job and I wish I did. Well, you know, there's things that need to be done in a city. And if you're a volunteer, a certain, like that you have to earn a say in something. If we created, like if we micro, micro, you know, break this down a much smaller and we had like, a little village somewhere that we just kind of all showed up at and there was nobody in the way 
And Brian showed up and he's like, I don't want to do anything, man. And I don't want to, I, I, I don't want to work. And I'm going to sit around and smoke my pot all day that I grow. And I'm not going to sh- even share my pot with you. And I'm just going to live here. But I want to say in things, we'd all be like, you know what? You can stay there because you're not causing anybody any trouble. But no, you don't get a say in things because you're not a contributor. So maybe if there's some way to to do that, because if you do it just in a straight stakeholder thing, then the problem is if I have more money than y'all, I can come in and buy 51%, and now I'm your dictator. 51% right? attack. And it's just we're talking about solutions here. I think Nicole has a great solution. Uh, she's really done a lot to help me with my workshops here, uh, taking over kind of as mistress of ceremonies. And when she does the briefing at the beginning, so I don't have to, her number one rule is don't be a dick. Hmm. And I think like that's that's the number one problem we have in any place where humans interact is people being dicks. And so that's more of a cultural thing of like teaching people like it is it is virtuous to not be a dick to other people. I don't care if 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 Brian or John hates me or I hate them as long as we don't bother each other. Right? And then natural voluntary relationships will happen and maybe Nicole and I get along and John and Brian get along. And if, if we don't get along cross group, that's okay. As long as we're not addicted to each other. Heck yeah. There's a, I wanted to throw out a model. Uh, it's called free private cities. There's this whole like network and movement of these intellectuals and wealthy venture capitalist types and a lot of cryptos in there. And uh, the model is like a private company. Look at old Jack there. The it's, it's a, uh, Uh, It's a company that runs the city and manages the city. And the social contract that you have with these city managers is like a a contract that you do with the business. And so you pay fees instead of a tax. It's a fee. And these businesses, there's a there's an organization called the Institute for Competitive Governance. And then there's another one called Startup Societies. And so the idea is. If we were to get government out of the way, especially national government, and allow these competing uh, creations, competing institutions, competing alternative organizational structures, then maybe some of them would be really crappy, but people would be able to vote with their dollar and the ones that become successful and the models that become successful would be emulated. And then seasteading is kind of a part of this as well, but it's like, let's go do it out in the middle of the ocean where hopefully we're out of the jurisdiction of some governments, although they still try to find a way to meddle. Uh, So I think that's a a viable model. It's literally like anarcho-capitalism in its essence, and it's actually being carried out in some instances, like there's uh, this concept of a special economic zone, and there's one in Honduras that's already uh, an actual thing. Uh, and that's where the, the the government, the nation state, oftentimes it's in nation states that aren't you know fully developed or like way ahead or advanced. And some capitalist will come along and they'll be like, hey, we want to try this special economic zone where there's limited regulation and limited tax liability. However, there is going to be some money that gets kicked up to the nation state. There's not innovation in your area. There's not big industry going on. So the governments are like, well, what do we have to lose? And so it becomes this little experimental zone. And I think there's a lot of opportunity here without a doubt. I mean, because whenever you have a a business that's running the city, uh, then you have competition that takes effect. They have to have customer service or you can withdraw your consent to be governed by them or to be managed by to have the city managed by them. So I think there could be a lot of merit there.
What if we just recognize individual property rights? And Whoa, if, if, what? Yeah, <laughs> just, we just rec- like like where my borders are, unless it's to prevent me from doing something across my border to somebody else's border. No government of any kind, private or public, gets a say. And if 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 Nicole and I and Brian and John all live next to each other, and we kind of want to federate that. And then we want to set rules amongst the four of ourselves on our borders. We get to do that. And the city can go screw. And the ne- the guy that lives next door to John, the guy that lives next door to me that sees things differently, they can go screw up and until the point that something we're doing literally crosses the border onto their property, onto common property. I know, I know I'm not a huge fan of the commons, but assuming that's still going to exist, like if it interferes with that, then there can be – some sort of a civil matter, and you can have a civil court that's really a private civil court to, to rectify that, arbitrate those differences. And I think a lot of the problems just go away. But I also think, like, if you're going to put that many people together, you are going to have certain things that you need to deal with. And we were supposed to bring some bullet points. So my three bullet points, I decided to let an old man named Bill Mollison dictate my three bullet points. So my three bullet points to building a city are care of the earth, so let's not do shit that fucks up our planet and the ground around us because a lot of things that cross borders that don't seem direct, like me walking over to John's house and stealing from him, like if I'm leaching harsh chemical shit onto his property, that's a problem. So we have care of the earth. We have care of people. So we're not, that's, that's Nicole's rule. Don't be a dick. Don't harm people. And then I think the most important one and what would keep cities from becoming the disasters they are is the the third ethic of permaculture is setting limits to population and consumption. There's only so many people that should be in so many square feet or miles or meters, because if we're going to live primarily off the resources within that space, you can only put so many people there. And when you say that people get all weird and all freaked out and, Oh, that's some, some sort of totalitarianism or something. But if you put it a different way, like, how many deer can live on 3,000 acres? Everybody goes, okay, there's obviously a limit. We, we can't have 150,000 deer on 3,000 acres. They'll eat everything and then they'll die. But when you say something like that about people, and I'm not for the same solution, the solution to the deer is shooting and heating deer. I'm not for that solution for people, but you know, another solution to the deer population is if you manage it properly, the population won't get out of whack. And I think if you're going to do a city, if we're starting from a blank slate, then we're going to have a defined area where that city is going to be. And I would want to be able to say, like, there's kind of a limit to the population of this city. And I don't think that means if, like, we're, we're one away from it and, and Brian's wife has a kid, we throw the kid. Either you go or your kid goes. I don't think it's that. But I think it's kind of like in dwelling space or whatever. Like, there has to be... In any human situation, there has to be a limit to how much density you put in. And this is a complete counter when people say, well, that's, man, that's Agenda 21. No, Agenda 21, Agenda 2030, call it what we want to, is exactly the opposite. How many fucking people can we cram in like cockroaches to how much density? That's what that is. That's their solution. And it's not new. I remember going to like Chamber of Commerce meetings. I was on committees and stuff back in the early 2000s. And every person that came in to talk about sustainability or any buzzword that sounded like that, the solution was always, how many people can we stack into this place so we have less of a footprint? 
as though our waste streams didn't go out and as though our needs didn't get pulled in from outside. So I think if we if we wanted to design like the perfect city, I don't think those three ethics are the end all be all, but they're the original design restrictions that would allow us to if, if, if every time we decided we wanted to do something, we went, does this fuck up the earth? Does this fuck up people? Or does this exceed our, our carrying capacity? Because that's what we're really talking about. And if the answer was it does one of those things, then we don't do it. That would guide us fairly well. Yeah, the notion that stacking as many people as you can into one area who poop every day, hopefully for their own health, and that's not going to create a toxic waste stream that you can't handle in the geography that you have stacked those people has been a mystery to me for years. They say it's more environmentally friendly, but you have to do all sorts of calisthenics to make that true. And they never address like the the most basic waste stream, which is the poop. Yeah, yeah. on your waste, right? All how, of it. All of your externalities. It's yeah. just it. It's what's coming out of the most dense cities is toxic sludge from poop. Yeah, and, and it's, have, it's well, a whole that, Somehow that's more environmentally friendly because I I don't have to drive my car to go see somebody as far. It's the whole way stream because if you go to New York City and you go down to the docks, which is kind of a cool experience, but if you watch, you'll see great big barges covered in garbage yeah. going out to sea. I don't know if anybody's ever kind of looked at the design of a barge, but it's a big flat thing. <laughs> Ships have big deep holes so they can go in, in, deep out into the ocean and go through great big swells and all. You can't sail a barge to whatever fantasy island people think that barge is going to with that garbage. If you see a barge go out to sea full of garbage, there is only one logical conclusion a person can come to, that it's going to go out past where you can see it, and then a big giant machine is going to push all the garbage in the ocean, and then the barge is going to turn around and come back in. And then we wonder why we have pollution problems in the ocean. Well, You know what? It's your, it's your straw, Nicole. It's it is straw. my straw. You go to the bar, you get a drink, you drink out of your straw, you throw your glass away, and then you run down the ocean and hurl your straw into the ocean. That's the actual problem. Everybody knows that. But San Francisco fixed it, so don't worry about it. It's all good now. Maybe these pesky viruses wouldn't spread so quickly if everyone wasn't stacked on top of one another. It's another thing. It's like a not a natural construct. You don't really see that. at I mean, are there animal species that are really densely populated or do they just have a natural tendency to balance out? Well, they get viruses and die out and then they're not as densely populated. And litter, if something doesn't eat them, when when animals are too densely populated, I know it's from a livestock perspective, somebody gets sick and then a lot of somebody's get sick and then you have fewer somebody's left at the end of that. Yeah. John brings up a great point there, though. There's really not a lot of high-density animal populations in nature. There's a lot of them in cities. Rats go high density in cities. And in agricultural situations, grain storage, they go into high density. Ants are insects. We're talking about mammals, right? We're mammals. So I'm, I'm confining this to mammals. And even if you, if you try to find a high density population in mammals, the only thing you can find is something like Plains Game in Africa. But it's really not high density because even though they stay in what looks like a high density they, they actually occupy a massive area, far more than one 
per acre because they move around. They only stay in that density for protection from predators. And because they move constantly, they actually make the environment better. They improve the soil. They improve grass growth, et cetera. I can't actually think of a place where mammals in a natural situation live in a true high-density permanent situation. We're the only ones that do it. And the ants thing is interesting because that means that we are mammals, highest form of mammal we know of, living like insects. Hmm. Maybe that's a problem. Maybe maybe we can learn from the proverb of the ant and the grasshopper about preparedness, but maybe we, we, sh- we shouldn't actually live like insects. Maybe we're not insects. Hmm. Or maybe we're not ready for high-density cities yet. Because if it takes an acre or two to sustain each human-ish, maybe that's the density we should be at until we figure out how to fully take care of all of our needs on smaller pieces of land by using more ingenuity and more tech. So maybe we're not to where we've overshot our density. I wonder when that, it seems like there, so there was an evolution of, of mankind or womankind of humans. I don't know why that pops into my head. Am I getting? Am I getting programmed by the woke stuff that I would even think that in my head? Yes, you would totally. Because uh, I'm, <laughs> I'm not going to be offended over here. Um, so what I was he's a say, bit woke, here, isn't he? It's <laughs> like the, the evolution of of man and the city. Uh, it started off with hunter gatherers, right? And then there was the advent of agriculture, and so that kind of slowed down. We don't have to leave. But it, do, it seems like for the longest time between that period and the present, there was still a lot of like village type scenarios, not mega cities. I think it was the Industrial Revolution and maybe the advent of, of capitalism that really led to the whole factory and people leave the, city, leave the farm to go into the city. And maybe that was accelerated through economic chicanery, like maybe... Families felt like they weren't able to sustain themselves because I don't know if it was taxes or what. I always want to blame the government. But can anyone point to what the phenomenon was that caused the young men to leave the homestead and their family and go into the city because they felt they needed to work? Was that manipulated by the government schools and the Prussian stuff or like because that may be a turning point for civilization when we went away from more of a natural, harmonious order? Uh, even though we stopped moving around so much and towards this pack and stack industrialist civilization. It, it goes further back than the Prussian education system. And you, you just hit on something hard, John, yeah. honestly. Um, one of the, one of like the uh, libertarian heroes that should not be is John Locke. And if you go back and read some of the correspondence between John Locke and some of his contemporaries, they actually discuss exactly what you're talking about. And they talk about the fact that the peasant is impossible to motivate. And we were on the cusp of the industrial revolution. And all of these guys were investing in these factories in the cities. And there wasn't enough people in those early cities, or let's say younger cities, to actually fulfill all the needs of those, those factories so that they could make their money. And they, they have this correspondence you can read about where it's like, well, how do we get the sons of the peasant to move to the city and work 14 hours a day on an assembly line? And they talk about the problem that, like, there's no incentive for them to do it right now because they live on their 
parents' land, and then they have enough land that all the kids get a piece of it when they, you know, get older, and they kill a pig once every four months, and they have enough meat for the next four months, and like their lives are good, and they drink a little ale, and they have fun, and they have a they have community, and like how do we actually get these people out of that? And they saw this as slothful and wasteful. <laughs> like this was like some kind of horrible thing. Like the dream that they were to live this way now, right? And they saw this as a problem because it got in the way of their ability to profit. Now, I don't hate money. I am a capitalist. I like to make a profit, but I try to make a profit on my efforts primarily, not the efforts of others. And and if you when you get into the point where you like if if I want to hire a couple people, that's that's one thing. But when you're like, gee, I need like ten thousand people to do my bidding. Then you get in this point where you have to force people into cities. How else would you? I mean, now maybe we have some technological innovation that will change that because I can hire Nicole and Brian and John, and you guys could all live where you are. But at the time, and then we're still living with this legacy. If you were going to have that industrial might, you had to shove people into the cities. And I invite people to look that up, like John Locke on that. It's it's. And it it hit me because it was like a woke ass freaking leftist that posted it. And I'm like, "Ah, fuck you. And then I'm like, oh, shit, he's right. right. No, this is is total douchebaggery. It absolutely is. Totally farming human energy. Yeah, so one thing that would make cities work is no property taxes. That would help. I'm all for no any taxes. I know. No any taxes. But then there's like scales of evil in taxes right mm-hmm. and the property tax yeah i mean the income tax really hurts but the property tax like there you are you finally got your little piece of land and you're gonna work it and you're gonna put your food forest in there and you have a couple of pigs and some chickens and some ducks and you're growing your vegetables and you're getting older and older and older. You've paid it off if you had a mortgage. Yeah. And your bill to the government was $200 a year when you bought it. And now it's $3,000 a year. And it's basically a mortgage payment again. And you paid for all the city services and infrastructure to get developed while you were there. And now you're servicing new people that are coming to the city. Yeah. Well, and if you built non-burnable structures and trees, did you really need to pay like the same amount for fire services as the guy that built a 20 story condo. Yeah. You know? That's a, good, a good, reasonable, practical political thing. I'm not into the politics, but it seems like a, a low hanging fruit would be to try to do away with property tax in certain States for folks that are retired. Like I always see this meme on Facebook and it's an older gentleman. It's like no property tax for folks over 65. Cause a lot of people, they get on a fixed income. And their income is fixed, and it's inflated to high hell, uh, and they lose but value. They, but then the property then they vote for shit because they're insulated from their own vote. Yeah, yeah, no property yeah. zero. He's the call solution is zero. John's talking about eliminating it for seniors. Um, no, no, I'm zero tax all the way. I'm just yeah, but it. you're talking in that instance about yeah. right? well, I mean, like, it's like in Portland, Oregon, they could only raise my taxes by the the cost of living increase. It was like four percent a year. That's a lot. So they couldn't reassess your property as worth five times as much. Yeah, so the it's still a lot over a lifetime. Right? Other, you know, every year it was going up, no matter what. 
it's, it's, it's easier bad. to get around the income tax and even to defy the income tax or to manipulate or to do it legally than it is the property tax. Like it's, that's going to be the one, like when I, mean, when I protect with the freedom cell network, when we have like a hundred thousand people or a million people and we declare our independence, that's going to be the challenge. How do we allow people, how do we enable people to, to peacefully keep their property without paying the man? It's going to have to be some sort of uh, compromise or some, Something. Yeah, if we own, if we run our own county, then we can assess our own taxes, and then you only have your state in, your state property tax for that. Yeah, that would yeah, be one way to do it. And uh, John's right, and Nicole's right in that this is the most insidious tax, it, in my opinion, is a property tax. So I buy my piece of land, I own my piece of land, I have to pay for my piece of land forever, and if I don't keep paying for my piece of land, you come take it away. Yeah, you're renting. Means your it's not my land. land. It's not mine. I don't actually own it. I, and, and I want to be clear on this because some people use what I just said to get in my face about my advice that you should own land. Well, you never really own it. You never really own it. You're still better off. Yeah. You are better off. Like, we stop shooting yourself in the foot out of like spite, right? Like you're still better off owning land in this country than not owning land. It is a great way to build wealth, but it is constantly eroded through taxation. Like I don't actually care about income tax. I know people are like, what? Because I, I actually pay a very low income tax. Ugh, Rel- I pay a lot of income tax, but relative to my income, I pay a very low income tax rate because I understand that these bastards wrote the tax code for themselves and I work it the way it was designed to be worked. Right. And if you own your own business and you pay a high tax rate, you need to do two things. One, you need to do a better job of spending money correctly. And two, you need a new CPA. Nobody that owns a business should be paying a high relative tax rate to your income. So like my, my relative tax rate to my income is about 15% when it's all said and done with. Nice. Right. Okay. And, and that's pretty good. I'd like it to be zero, but a 15, uh, but what, what can I do about my property tax? Okay. So the founders, Nothing. right? They thought about the whole Tariffs were the way they were going to fund the whole government because there's so yeah. much money flow, right, on all the assets back and forth that a 1% grift off that is a shit ton of money. So as yeah. a new city, thinking about it from the beginning, you don't tax property on the annual and tax people out. If you are doing a good job and your assets are inflating in relative cost, if you take a 1% or 2 or 3 or 5%, whatever – on the sale or exchange of properties, tons of money, right? Ton, there's always churn and burning. Every You're just actually saying a 1%, 1% sales tax, and it includes property exchange. Yeah, exchange. All property. All property. Yeah. Yeah. You, you, I so if I sell John a, a, a Sobeil tangerine can of, of water, and it's a dollar, a penny goes to the, the town – and if I sell him my my farm for five hundred thousand dollars, then what's one percent of five hundred thousand? Five grand. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And you, you've realized the gain on your asset at that point. It's like eh, you're negotiating your real estate commission to buy. Uh, no, no. A, pro, a sales tax would would be a tax whether I've gained or lost. Or, it would or be lost. irrelevant. A sales tax is a, irrelevant to the gain or the loss, right? But I, I still don't have a problem with it because I'm not actually paying it. John is. Right, right. The buyer. John, John think uh, about him paying that. I think, like, when it comes to parenting and, like, 
disciplining the kids, you know, um, I try to make that, like, I don't do punishment and I try not to do rewards and stuff. I try to, I try to do the unschool thing where it's like consequences 110%, but as my kids have gotten older and like more of a pain in the ass, you know, <laughs> but I try to make like whatever I respond, like if my son is freaking out in the living room and screaming, it's like, you need to remove yourself from the living room. We're going to remove you from the living room. If you're going to scream, if you're going to be disruptive, this is our space that we hang out. So it like, I want the consequences to fit the action. And so that just popped in my head when it comes to a tax or a fee. I think if we could avoid an arbitrary 1% for everything, if it was mm -hmm. more like a use type of thing. So if we use the roads, for example, like I always think back to the freedom cell thing, if we're going to have to have some compromise, it's like we don't use the fire department. We have our own civil defense force. We have our own food production, blah, blah, blah. But we still travel to and from places in your county or in your state. So we'll use a gasoline tax, which is kind of like a use tax. So if we could figure out a ways for the people that have kids and they go to some sort of community school for the families that or the individuals that spend a lot of time at the park to pay for somehow the public park, I think that would make more sense if it actually was like a pay as you go, pay for what you use kind of deal. Then it takes a out fee based a, a fee based economy, basically, right? Yeah. Like you pay for what you use, and you know, I don't There's know who, a way to track that. It, yeah, there, I would yeah, love to pay is. more for a fishing license if I knew they would actually make more steelhead with the money and not, not piss it down some rat hole. I would gladly pay. Hey, I want to um, mention something that somebody brought up earlier just about waste streams, which is back a topic. It was K-Bonk, and he was saying that he knows of a place where you pay a subscription to have your food waste picked up, okay. and then the people who pick it up compost that. As a pig farmer, I'm like, you just got paid to feed your own pigs. That's a good <laughs> thing. Yeah, and I think that if you had that, if that was your solution, right – and so let's say that I am a waste disposal specialist and I go to Brian's house and Brian's like, fuck it. And he just throws all his bag and throws it in the thing. I'm going to charge Brian, you know, relatively a high fee to take his garbage away and deal with it. If I go to John's house and John has over here is glass and, and can and over here is organic waste and over here is things that I actually have to deal with in some other way. I'm going to charge John less or I might even charge John nothing. If, if the waste stream John is providing me, he's done the labor for me and I can actually make compost out of it and I can get a value of recyclability out of it. Mm. I may come pick up John's crap for free yeah. and I might serve John and Brian. I might be, it might not be like, you know what, if you're not John screw you. And I might be, I might be like only John's. I only want John's. Or I might be, I only want Brian's. I don't want to deal with the other shit. Or I might be like, I'll take either one, but I have different fees for you. One of y'all mentioned earlier something about you know, like fire, you know, the cost of like having a fire department. If we had, it was, it was Brian, right? He said, you know, if, if I build a, a house that won't burn down, right, I still might concern myself with fire. Fire will burn like all my trees and burn right up to my house and maybe trap me in my house and kill me anyway. So I might still concern myself with fire. But if John is the, fire insurance guy for our city and he comes out to my house and I have a concrete dome house, right? And a well-designed property. When he assesses my risk, how likely is it that his fire people will have to come put a fire out at my place? He's probably going to give me one rate. And if Brian builds his house out of like, not a straw bill house, but literally builds a straw house, 
Also. Right. <laughs> and, and like he insulates with gasoline. He's going to charge him a lot of money. And he might go to Nicole and charge her somewhere in between the two of us. And it's healthy. It's really high. He insulates with gasoline. Just uh, and we would pay for what we need. Nitrous and and if, if if we had an, a non-regulatory environment, because what people say, well, then John being the fire guy ends up with a monopoly. But if anybody, like if other John who's broke down on the side of the road in his little mini compact van right now, he, he might just say, you know what, I'll, I'll do a, a – I have a competing fire insurance program. And they might even have the same guys in the trucks that show up. They're just paying the bill for their people when they need to. Yeah. Right. Because, you know, cool. it's not like life insurance companies have different money. It's all the same money that they pay the death benefit out with. They do a risk assessment and they use the same pool of money to pay. Yeah. That's uh, the in uh, the New Libertarian Manifesto, he talks about uh, Samuel Rekonkin talks about insurance companies and that's how a voluntary society could work. Whenever two people have a conflict, it goes to arbitration with the insurance companies. And if you get too expensive because you're too much of one of those douchebags, then they drop you. This uh, The Lots Project's been uh, commenting a lot, and he mentioned blockchain-based use fees. Now, there is, you know, part of this whole totalitarian fourth industrial revolution thing is, is aiming to kind of surveil all of the things through smart grid technology and, you know, this whole uh, Internet of Things. But there is, you know, blockchain technology, it, it would have to have a lot of tech tied to it and some surveillance tied to it, right? But if, if it's in a micro scale and it's like a voluntary, transparent, open source kind of thing, through the blockchain, you could, you know, deduct fees from the account by entering this space or scanning this code or engaging in this behavior, this, that, or the other. It could be a really simple, decentralized way. It automates itself. You don't have to have all the bureaucratic level and the enforcement and stuff because it's enforced as you go. So I think I think actually we'll see stuff go to that. The, the unfortunate part is that a lot of it's being driven by these oligarchs and technocrats. And it's not like we want to make life better for everyone. It's we want to control life for everyone, unfortunately. There are some startup cities and blockchain cities, right? Like all these super wealthy blockchain people are starting to experiment with, with blockchain-based cities. So maybe that'll give us a more accurate glimpse of what it can look like. You know, even though I'm a big blockchain guy, I still think going back to the old school way of doing things is much preferable than this real super future tech. I think the small village and eco-village, interconnected families, supporting one another, taking it back to a smaller scale is the best bet for us. Well, you know, it's funny because the cities I've lived in that worked the best were villages that are now a city, but every part of the city is a different village. And so it's like you have subsets. It's almost like your freedom cells, John, where you have you have cells and then you have federations and then you have bigger federations and it becomes a city. But the responsibility for the smaller piece is in the smaller piece. And you get more of that. Uh, If you take community out of city, that's when they start failing. That's what I think. Yeah, for sure. And I think this whole single family neighborhood phenomenon really tore that apart. And then so did the, like the state taking taking it upon itself in order to care for older folks that are retired and stuff. It used to be like everyone lived in a big ass house 
or on mm-hmm. a property and you have the mother-in-law suite, right? And then the grandparents take care of the, the grandbabies and it's all works together. But now everyone's all isolated and the government has everyone on social security and getting sent off to homes and stuff. It's, it's unfortunate. With, the, with, with that comment down there about the fundraisers for transparent budgets and all that. Yeah. What if the, what if the budgets for all the fire department, the, this department, that department were public and open Anybody could read them. They didn't write them in funny language, right? Yeah. And then when you went down to use the boat launch, there's a QWERTY code sitting next to the boat launch that has like 18 different cryptos. You just pick the yeah. one you want to kick them everywhere you go. The the high school, the, the this, the that. The they, Your little local newspaper runs a thing for the fire department, saved a cat. And there's the QWERTY code to like. In the newspaper, that'd be great. Right. Well, and then it's completely voluntary. The people that have the most will probably give the most because they always do. Right. <laughs> and just things get done. Now, do you have to have like a $5 million fire engine or do you need a $100,000 fire engine that's rusted to ship but still sprays water? <laughs> you know, if the fancy people are embarrassed by their fire engine, I bet they're going to give more. So. Shit needs to be human. Jack was talking about human power. They're like size, right? The limit to growth and consumption. Like there's a limit. Like real, like somebody, if it's not voluntarily paid for, oh, there's your limit. It's pretty easy. Found the app. When you think about why we like cities, it's because you can go there. You can go to a nice restaurant and order something and it's kind of cool. And there are enough people who will go to that restaurant and spend their money there that the restaurant stays in business. It's because you can run a factory and have enough employees to work at your factory. It is because you can go to entertainment that's really fun that may not be available in DeKalb County, Tennessee, where I live, right? And it's because somebody mentioned they're near transportation hubs. It's because boats can dock and unload all their stuff. And then that can be flowed out into the country from there. And when you think about why we like that, some people want to live near that. Some of us want to live further away from that. But I do like going to cities from time to time and tapping into the benefits of the cities. Do we have to have the bad stuff with that? And what size city is an ideal size? Is it 100,000? Is it 500,000? Is it a million? Like, what, what does that look like? Because I think there is a size and density issue where... For, I mean, I know I moved to Tennessee. I really liked Nashville a lot because it was like Portland 20 years before when Portland was smaller. And when Portland was smaller, you could get from point A to point B without a lot of hassle, but you could still get the cool things that the city has to offer. And then Portland got too big. Yeah, I don't think I've in Mexico in Michoacan. I visited, and the elders of the community gave us a tour. Uh, they're the community that threw out, they overthrew the municipal government, which was more of a Western form of, of governance with the mayor and such. They overthrew the police force, which was corrupt and in bed with the gangs, which they call the malos, like the bad guys, uh, because they were like, deforesting their sacred forest and planting avocados. Apparently the avocado trade is really a big cartel thing in Mexico. And so they, they literally rose up. They had enough. They were disrespecting the family. They were kidnapping some of the young men. 
And they rose up, they threw out the gangsters, they threw out the other gangsters, the cops and the, and the city government, and they instituted this indigenous form of governance that it's a government, right? Uh, like Jeff Berwick and others, they refer to it as total anarchy, but it's not anarchy because they do have a government. It's just an indigenous form of government that works for them. And so every four years or every six years, maybe it's two, two, four, six, they get together in four barrios, so four neighborhoods. They broke the city up and it's a city of around 20,000. So to answer your question, like this city of around 20,000, they, they figured out a way to make it work. They broke down into four quadrants and they elect community elders who make decisions on behalf of the citizenry. And I think one key factor, because after we visited them, uh, we came back and we were like, you know, doing thought experiments. We're like, wow, what if we could do that in our communities, right? Rise up and take power away from the government and, and, the, and the gangsters. And I think one key thing that they have that a lot of other areas don't have is cultural homogeny. These are indigenous families that literally a lot of them are the same bloodlines that rose up against the Aztec empire and that rose up against the Spanish empire. Now they were defeated by both, but they put up one hell of a fight compared to everyone else in the other areas. Part of which is because they're in the mountains, but they have that history together and it's not a melting pot, which is cool. Culturally, that's cool too. But there's just this connection that they all have that in the States we don't have with our neighbors. And I think that's a really key element to, to that, that cohesive community vibe thing. So think about this, John, with what you just said. Why do you think it's so important to the people that are in power right now, the oligarchy, our government, et cetera, to promote diversity? Yeah. Right. And it's not that I'm opposed to diversity as a thing onto itself, but to force like vulcanization rather than homogenization of culture. If you have a unified culture bound by just even a few common ideals, principles, it's a very tough group of people to govern as rulers. You can govern that group as servants, but you can't govern those people as rulers. But if you get a diverse society. And if you know, think about what you know, you, with what you were just saying, you, you, some of these people that have drank the Kool-Aid of this, if you say, well, you want diversity? And they're like, yeah. So, okay, we're going to run a conference on an Indian reservation. They'd be like, great. Oh, so you think diversity is a group of people that have a common heritage that all live on one place together, that have a tribal connection, that have common ideals that are all of a common race. It's the least diverse place you can get because it's different than them. They see it as diverse, right? And if you take, you know, I, I keep tropical fish. If you put enough different species together, there's going to be conflict. But if you put mostly the same species of fish together, there's going to be an agreement. They're going to get along. They're going to kind of school together. And, and that doesn't mean that I can't get along with Nicole because she's female. Or let's just p- pretend that Brian's Chinese and we can't get along but if we force people together and then we come up with the concept, if we have common ideals, that's bad. Then we're going to have conflict. And then it's very easy to lead people through power if they are in constant conflict with each other. If they're in most agreement with each other. And again, when I say diversity here, I'm talking about cultural diversity, true cultural diversity, as in. We have the four of us, and we all absolutely despise the base values of each other. We're very easy to rule. I'm not talking about racial diversity, because if Nicole were black and I was Chinese and Brian was, I don't know, Asian and John was as white as the driven snow, which he is, 
then we could still have common, we could still have common culture, right? We could still have common culture. John could be gay. I could be triple gay. Nicole could be straight. We could still have common culture. But if if you just randomly grab people and shove them together and teach them that everybody else is bad, like your side is right, then you have a very easy group of people to lead. And I think that's not lead, control. And I think that's what we have with cities and countries as a whole today is, is that's why that's the goal, to force this vulcanization rather than a homogenous concept like the one thing, like if, if Nicole, Brian, John, and I got together, we could come up with a hundred things we disagree about. No problem. But we could come up with common, virtuous, cultural ideals that we agree upon. And the way we would build a society then is we would focus on, you know, four or five things that we completely agree upon. And, and that's how I think you would build a city is you'd say, these, these are the four or five things we stand for. And if you don't fucking like it, don't fucking come here. I know that sounds like really dickheaded, but it's not like because you can go find a place that has four or five things you really agree with. Well, and the flip side of that is anything else outside of these four or five things that we agree of uh, agree on are none of your fucking business. You know, what I mean, like the whole gay, straight racial decisions, food choices, all of those things that seem to be brought up as the big thing that matters about people. Yeah, cannot be, yeah, we'll, we'll don't matter. Matter. Like, we sit down with people, we'll discover we most of the time want the same things. I think if we get off Twitter and Facebook, most people don't give two shits about that stuff. Yeah. If, if you just had to agree to move into the town to okay, we all agree harmony with our neighbors is the number one thing. Boom, you know, just common like harmony is the ethos of the town. Harmony. I think you have to be more specific with ideals if you want to create kind of a homogenous culture, like John's talking, which was alluding to. I don't want to say you're talking about it because I don't want to put words in your mouth, but. Like what you were alluding to there. So harmony can mean different things to different people. But rights to my property are very clear. And if I have rights to my property, then by that very nature, I do not have the right to fuck your property up. Right? I don't have that right. That's if if I have the right to you not fucking my property up, then you then then you have the right to me not doing it back. So like property rights are a very concrete, very understandable thing. A lot of tribal cultures, we may look at them from the outside and say, that doesn't seem concrete to us, but they know what they mean when they're saying it. And I think that that's whatever group of people you're dealing with, you would have to deal with using language that everybody understands. And that's harder than it seems because, like, totally unrelated, but it related. I I, I have explained many times what a swale is, and then I go to somebody's house, and they say, I put a swale in, and I go, that's not a swale. Right. So we thought we were using the same word and we weren't. So if you're talking about designing a city, I think you have to be ultra clear on what those ideals are. So harmony is so. What does harmony mean? Right. Like, I, I I know what you mean, and it would work for you and me, but I don't know if it would work for a gathering of 20,000 people. It means when I bring a civil action on long subs and it's 11 and 5 eighths of a sub, the judge is like, get the fuck out of here. 
<laughs> so here's one from uh, Colorado Foothills, I think is what that is. What about being able to deal with thieves in a rational way? Property so rights. Right. together and Dumb. shit happens because of the 10% factor. Like, how do you deal with crime in a rational way? If you have the uh, insurance, so back to the New Libertarian Manifesto, he calls it IA's, insurance agency. And so the civil people in the city will have an insurance company. And you know, maybe you should be a little more hesitant about doing business with folks that don't have an insurance company that, you know, that have a reputation tied to that contract or whatever. And so if it's folks that are insured and one person steals from another person, there's a strong disincentive because you make a claim with the insurance company, presuming you know who it is that did it. But the insurance companies would have an interest to help track down and make you whole again because they would get, make more money. Right. And so you file your insurance company files against the insurance company of the thief. And then the insurance company makes the thief pay. If they don't pay, then they drop him. And now they're out with the wild heathens. And then so I guess the question is, what about the wild heathens that don't have this insurance arrangement? And at the end of the day, I mean, folks being uh, vigilant. And, you know, I think if people took responsibility for defense and security back into their own hands, they would have more situational awareness than most people do in suburbs and cities. And so if folks were armed, you know, an armed society is a polite society. If folks knew that it's like, we don't have 911. We are 911 and we look out for one another. And because we all know each other and we don't rely on the cops, uh, when there's a suspicious vehicle that's parked in front of somebody's house or property, we're going to give them a call or we're going to walk out to the car and say, hey, how you doing? What can we help you with kind of deal? So that's just some of the thoughts I want to throw out there. I, I do have to say that probably the best words you can use to deal with that situation are how can I help you? Yeah. Mm -hmm. The person that actually is not a problem sees that as, oh, like, this is what I need. Yeah. And the person that's a problem knows immediately that they have a problem. <laughs> that they're fucked. Right? They're like, this is not a good thing. Like, how may I help you? Right? Is like one of the, the, just the ultimate phrases because you're never wrong for using it. You're never a dick for using it. Either person actually needs something or they don't belong there. Um, I do think, though, we would end up with police but we wouldn't have public police. We would have security. Yeah. Yeah. So if, if all four of us lived in a neighborhood with 20 or 30 other people, a little subdivision type thing in our city that we're designing from scratch, and we, we got together, we might decide, hey, look, um, if we all go in together and we buy insurance from Brian's, secure, you know, Brian's uh, insurance company, yeah. then we're going to pay less because we're buying collectively. We can collectively bargain in, in the the true open sense of the word. So we all agree to that. We all go to Brian and we say, Hey, Brian, um, we, we want to purchase an insurance policy for our neighborhood. And he's probably immediately going to outsource basic security. He's going to take some portion of our premium and he's going to hire Bill's security or whatever. And they're going to come in. And if Bill's security is shitty and Nicole, John and I are like, Brian, Bill's security sucks. They, they're sleeping, they're drunk driving around, they're not responding, whatever. We don't want you anymore. He's going to go, whoa, wait a minute. I'm going to get Tom's security. I'm going to bring, I'm going to replace the people. Like, we're going to have a negotiation. We're like, right now, if your cops suck, what do you do? Vote for a new sheriff? 
if you're out in the county, at least you can do that. If you live in a, a municipality right now and you have bad police officers, and I don't mean in the all cops are bastards, right? I mean, just like you literally have cops that just don't do their job or they're harassing people or whatever. You have no recourse. You can call your town councilman or whatever, but you have no recourse. But the minute we all go to Brian and say, you know what, we're canceling your contract at the end of it unless you fix this shit, he's fixing it because we have 200 families paying a salary that's running his whole company or a portion of his company. It's important to him. And all we have to do is say, nope, we're not, we're just going to switch companies. All they have to do, so my employees that are there to keep you safe and secure your assets, that's all they have to do. That's all they have to do. They don't have to enforce one state law, not one federal law, not one international bullshit law, no nothing. That only they want two objectives, secure you above all else and then secure your property. Well, and how much do we want done, right? Like you would probably have a questionnaire when we signed up with you, right? And you'd say like, okay, well, what do you want us to do? And if we're like, all we want you to do is make sure nobody steals anything or hurts anybody, you have one rate for us. If if I want to be able to call because Nicole's music is too loud... That's what right? I was going to say. You have a much higher rate. And then if it's karaoke night, fuck you. Yeah. yeah. yeah you a much higher to- rate. Right? Like, and then maybe we figure right. out that like it's too expensive and then she to have that level of policing. So we don't need it anymore. And then maybe I call up Nicole and go, hey, Nicole, what the fuck with the music? And Nicole's like, look, I have karaoke night on Wednesdays. And I go, you know what? Um, I work second shift. And maybe Nicole says, fuck you. Or maybe Nicole says, we can do Tuesday night. Like maybe we actually, or maybe no, Nicole says, I, "Hey, so I stayed in a jail for a long time, and we had band practice, and my neighbor was like, holy fuck, Nicole, that's super loud, <laughs> and, and it's it's making me crazy, and I can't sleep.'" And I said, "Okay, well, we'll change our hours. It's these two days a week, and I'm going to add soundproofing, and it, it was fine. Yeah, that was it." Or maybe like if it was the karaoke night and I called you up and said it's super fucking loud and you said, hey, Jack, why don't you quit being a little bitch? Come on over here and have have some bourbon with us and be part of karaoke night. Maybe I'd be okay. Like we would one way or another, if we had to find a solution with each other, we would find a solution with each other. You got to live with each other. You can't hide behind a fence if you're in an actual community. I always, a lot of people are real hesitant to get chickens if they have like an HOA prohibition. And I always tell them like the first time you get yourself a dozen eggs, you take it right over to the neighbor's house and they'll, they won't mind your cock-a-doodle-doo every once in a while if you supply them with farm-fresh eggs. Yeah, well, you, so back to the the dick factor. So people, some people... <laughs> we could do a whole show on the dick factor. Dick factor, that's... We should do a whole show on the dick factor. But You know what? We, we still factor. have an episode we haven't determined for this month. The last one, maybe it's the dick factor. I'm there, I'm there. It'll be an optional. But it's funny because what we use in our society currently is punitive justice in, in, in that you punish people for the stuff they did. And we, we put them in jail and they serve time and they come out more prepared to do more crimes than they were before they went in. Yeah, they can't get a job. Restorative justice is a totally different perspective where if you stole something... And you were caught, 
you have to make up for that. And if you sold it on the black market, then perhaps the answer is you earn enough money to pay it back. If you kill somebody, some percentage of your income for the rest of your life goes to support the family who no longer has a father or a mother. Restorative justice is a much better way to address problems because you're looking at there's a crime, there are victims. What can I do to help the victim? Obviously, killing another person to deal with the fact that somebody killed one person to begin with is not the right answer. Dick for a dick. What are you lacking now because that person's gone? Yeah, yeah. I right? do think that I, I, I love that model. That is like one of the things on the uh, the, the LP platform is restorative justice. And I, I, that was one of the things that made me for a time of my life, a, a card carrying libertarian party member. And that was probably the biggest, oh, wow. but, but my issue with that is it has to, the penalty has to exceed the cost of the crime or there's no incentive for me not to commit the crime. If I'm the 10% douchebag, right? So let's say that Brian sneaks over to Nicole's holler and manages to get out of there without being killed for doing it and steals Nicole's goat. He takes Nicole's goat home, he kills Nicole's goat, and he has goat tacos. And he thinks life's well. John's security investigates it because we're paying him to to provide security, tracks down Brian as the goat thief, and says, listen, you bastard, you stole the goat, we know it. And they present, he presents his evidence to your insurance company, who agrees our client stole the goat, he's fucking responsible. It was a, a baseline restorative justice would be Nicole's goat was worth $250, right? And then so Brian pays Nicole $250 and all as well. I'm not okay with that because I love my goat. Got a well, you love your goat, but I don't care. What yeah. I care about is the, the, the risk reward analysis in Brian's head, because in this example, Brian's in the douchebag 10% category, is I could buy the goat or I could steal the goat. If I steal 20 goats and I get caught once, I'm ahead. I'm good. That's that's a gorist philosophy. Like when you go and you have like before Uber and you had like a uh, a gypsy taxi in New York City, you knew you were going to get caught. You just knew that whatever it was going to cost you was less than the cost of a medallion. So screw it. So I think there should be some sort of like it gets posted penalty beyond right. And I don't know that Nicole gets the penalty. I think Nicole gets restored. But then the penalty maybe goes to some sort of, I don't know, I hate to use the word, but some commonality, right? Like, like maybe it offsets the cost of all of us for insurance. Well, right? maybe maybe Brian pays back people who lost goats who they cannot prove he lost goats mm-hmm. but that he stole them from, but they also get goats back. Well, Nicole had to deal with a bunch of crap, had to go talk to the yeah. insurance company to give a statement, so she should get extra I think that somehow the frankly th- just replacing my goat did not train my goat. Like there's a whole lot more. It's like when you yeah, when yeah, you yeah. Die, what, you what is the real value of your goat that doesn't climb up on your roof anymore? Yeah. Right. <laughs> there should be a ding reputation too, so everyone knows like this motherfucker stole a goat and he's done it yeah. a couple times. So you he's might a goat stealing fucker, and you should not trust him because a man will steal a goat. Shame. It was shame. <laughs> I need to watch that. For there like- was value to that too. Like when they used to put people in the stocks, right? Yeah. Because the, the big thing with the stock was, okay, so you're there for two days in the town square. 
Right. Everybody gets a good look at you. That bastard did something. We know him, and we know him now. And I think, like, I don't know on the on the whole, like, we're supposed to be talking about is designing the city. I think when you design a city, maybe the whole city, like, because I think about 200 people is what an average person can keep in their head. And when I see Nicole, I know Nicole. And I see Brian, I know Brian, right? And I don't think, you, like, it's not a city. 200 people is not a city. But, like, you're... Call them subdivisions or whatever your neighborhoods, like kind of that's your limit up to about that many people, because that way you have a lot of neighborhood policing, and then you have kind of neighborhood leadership, like tribal leadership, and then you have your leaders between your tribes going, "Hey, Brian's a fucking goat thief, so if he comes over to your neighborhood, you need to know this motherfucker steals goats." And people would say, "Well, that like ruins his life forever." I don't, I don't think so. Like, you might be a goat thief. Right. And but if you have spent enough of your life since you stole your last goat. Making an effort to prove that you've reformed. I, I mean, who doesn't love a comeback story? Right. I mean, I'm, right. I'm a person like if, if I still hired people, I don't because I hate that. But if I still did, I would not hire somebody who had a criminal record. Like, but I wouldn't I, I would be reluctant to hire somebody who's never paid a debt for their criminality and committed a crime yesterday, right? You would have to do something to show me that you truly, especially since I'm trusting you inside my business and anybody that's ever employed people knows an employee can do incredible damage to a business. The lowest level employee can do incredible damage to a business, um, especially a small business. But I think that there'd be a pathway for Brian to prove he's no longer a goat thief. nothing works without an elder type situation yeah like a three-person old person group right they would they would realize how much it costs nicole and they would assess a proper penalty and uh, like there's something about having like a little council of elders they've been there they would fairly assess it and i would probably they're just kind of they just kind of assume the role just because they're the badasses in town kind of deal they're not elected so to speak yeah, and there's an interesting thing about elders. In any society that relies on the elders, the elders don't really have any more than the non-elders. They're what they do as elders is a service. It's not power. It's not it doesn't like so anybody that serves at high levels of government, even city government in this country, is enriched by it. Correct. Elders in a, a, a traditional indigenous society are not enriched financially through their service as elders. You know, they, they, they are, they get a certain amount of respect and I'm sure people enjoy having respect. Right. But they don't become wealthy and they don't retire on being an elder. Right. They're like in retirement. So they become an elder as a form of service versus I control your life, my entire life so I can retire rich, which is what we have today. Yeah. You know, I think I don't want to be an elder, even when I'm old. I want to be like, fuck it, I'm done. Like the uh, person that's willing to at the end of their life, you know, the last 20 years of their life, do this shit for no financial gain. That's a servant. Yeah. Alice K, who says that that would be illegal? Yeah, I know. I was like, why would that be illegal? When we're designing a city, is prostitution illegal? Yeah, if you, own, the for if the you, if you own yourself, you would own yourself. 
Yeah. Don't get me on prostitution, man. I'll go off, man. I it's I don't have a personal stake in this, but I find laws against pr- pr- prostitution in, in in the United States anyway to be the most ludicrous, stupid fucking laws there are, and I'll tell you why. Let's say that 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 Brian was was a male prostitute, and, and John liked male prostitutes, so John goes out hey, and pays Brian to service him, right? Because I can't do this with Nicole; it wouldn't be right. So it's what I'm working with what I got, guys, and and so that happens, and then. Nicole's a cop, and she catches this happening on the street. She joins in. So no, <laughs> that's a movie. Do this, right? I'm trying to be clean here, as clean as I can in this subject. And so then Nicole arrests them, and they've both committed a crime. <laughs> but let's say I have a camera, and that, I pay both of them to do this with each other, and I film it, and I sell the video as pornography. Now Nicole has nobody to arrest. So to me, that that is an example of the preposterousness of government and law. Like, it's the same thing, but as soon as I'm paying them to do it, instead of them paying and dealing with each other, it becomes legal. Like, that's how stupid it is. Yep, it's arbitrary. There's all sorts of laws that you can bust up with any semblance of of logic. And you know you want some of that, John. Look at that. You want all of that. (laughs) That's right. Super easy answer there. Factor episode. Here we come. Oh, that's great. That's great. You gotta see this one. I can't get it to come up. It's not working. Killing me. (laughs) Tune in at Scrambling University. (laughs) This is gonna be the first time we get a video with a strike or taken down that has nothing to do with the COVIDs. Hey, that's awesome. <laughs> because we're like, yeah, prostitution's fine, and I don't care if you sell drugs because whatever. Oh, don't steal goats. Are what clear in most of our core philosophies. But don't steal oh. goats. Don't oh, steal goat, man. That's totally wrong. I like my goat. She's great. Are we at rap time? Yeah. So uh, that's what I was going to say. Let's go once around the horn. Um, last thoughts or promoting anything you might have coming up, starting with scrambling. What you got for us? Coffee club, coffee club. As soon as I get to a hundred, uh, I am going to break free of Seattle, tour around, hit every festival I can come meet all of you guys. And, uh, so I made, uh, Anyway, turn into at Scrambling University to find out the next chapter. There's a secret web page that you can't get to other than if you tune into my shit. All right. See you. Cool. John. Uh, you know, I think it's it's going to be a lot easier to create a cohesive uh, village or city or community if we do it intentionally. Because we were all just born into certain political jurisdictions and and norms and laws and governments, governmental systems. Uh, but if we can work together to create something new with intention and that we have intellectual conversations and philosophical conversations and practical conversations and what does justice mean to us and how do we enshrine property rights in a way that isn't arbitrary or manipulatable or changing with the whims of the ruling class or, or the political class, you know, we could really make something happen. So I just want to encourage people to take to w- what we talked about today, to take it out of just 
a fun discussion on Unloose the Goose and for people to commit and, and try to experiment with this kind of stuff. Like the, the technologies available, the will is most definitely there for all of our freedom lovers to do something new. So, and I'll just throw in a plug. We don't have any way to sign up or register yet, but we're doing another Exit and Build Land Summit. This time it's going to be May 13th, 14th, and 15th. Uh, Jack's going to be participating. Nicole's going to be participating. The last one, we had like 24,000 people register, 19,000 views, saw the live stream. Uh, and we had 100 people in person, and it sold out in like two weeks. So this time I got a much bigger venue so we can pack in like 500 people. So you can, you'll be able to watch the stream and participate that way. But if you're able to get a ticket and come down in person, there's going to be outings, expeditions. We're going to have uh, farm local farm-sourced meals during the day for lunch and stuff. So just be on the lookout. I'll be sure to share it with the Unloose the Goose audience. And again, it'll be May 13th, 14th, and 15th. And what we're trying to do is educate people with the knowledge, but also empower people to feel like this kind of stuff is possible. Like it's, it's up to us to create a better world and to do it now, or else people are just going to be complaining for hundreds and hundreds of years about how terrible civilization and government and this, that, and the other is. But it's up to each and every one of us to take it upon ourselves to, to build something cool. Okay, I'm going to go before Jack because he likes to have closing anyway. So cities have not been bad throughout history. When when I look back at cities, they develop when they develop organically for a purpose, they they turn into something good and and when you start looking at those, you start seeing collections of villages into a bigger thing. It's it's when you get that top-down planning built out into the city that we end up with so much dysfunction. And I know we've done a whole episode on why cities suck. And believe me, I don't want to live in a city personally, but some people do, and that's fine. It's just we've done it wrong for so long that people have forgotten how to do it right. And I think we can do it right. The deal is, if you're going to do it right, you got to go out there and put your neck out and go for it and deal with the death threats because you're going to get those and deal with possible legal problems because you're going to have those. That's the only way we can get out of this in a lot of cities, at least in this country. But it's possible. And if you're motivated to do it, I encourage you to do it. I will support you in doing that. I just probably won't live there because I like my little homestead. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, but there are lots of ways we can do it right. And and one of the things is that I think Brian's right on about own your waste stream. Waste streams are an underappreciated part of society. People profit off of those. Waste streams don't have to be waste. They can be turned into wonderful things like bacon. And <laughs> so many of, of the city problems revolve around not being able to deal with waste, not being able to deal with the people who can't take care of themselves and all of the other negative things that if we build something that works, that can become the model. I think that's kind of cool. If you want to support me, I've actually, like Jack, I do a workshop once a year. My workshop tickets are going on sale in two weeks on the weekend of the 20th, I think it is, 20 to 21st, whatever Saturday that is. It's at livingfreeintennessee.com. And I'm also doing a different event in February, the same time that Anarchapocal is. 
called the Self-Reliance Festival in Camden, Tennessee with special operations equipment. And that's at selfreliancefestival.com. Jack, what are your final words? Wait, wait, wait. When's the workshop that you're going to do, the next one? Oh, it's the last weekend of April 28th, 29th, 30th. Cool. Yep. Right before yours. People can come to mind and go to yours. Convoy. So um, one thing we didn't talk about tonight, and I think that maybe we're, we, we miss something when we, we don't look at it this way, is, for instance, I grew up in rural Pennsylvania. And if you asked anybody there how they felt about Philadelphia, pretty negative. They hated it. But if they went to Philadelphia and had some cheesesteak and hung out down in Greektown or whatever, right, they thought it was great. The reason they resented Philadelphia is because in our system of so-called democracy, the weight of the vote of Philadelphia told people in Schuylkill County, Pennsylvania, how to live. So if we wanted to make a city that would be ideal, not only would we worry about what goes on inside the city, but we don't necessarily need to be telling people how to live outside the city. That was kind of like an epiphany I had there listening to mainly a lot of things Brian said, because every time Brian stuck up for cities and then Nicole at the end stuck up for cities, I agree with what you're saying. Like a a, a good example would be like Asheville, North Carolina. We went on vacation there uh, a couple of years ago. I had a blast politically. I don't want to freaking live there, but I don't mind visiting. Right. Like, so I imagine that there's people that probably feel that way about Asheville that live just outside of it that are pissed off that people in Asheville are telling them how to live. So it's more about telling people how to live than you deciding how to live where you live. I, I don't think any of us have a problem with that. On, on, on me, as far as like what I have to promote today, uh, as always, the survivalpodcast.com is my website. You can find everything there. But I am running a watch party for Anarchapoco. I am speaking virtually at Anarchapoco because I can't go down there. And uh, I have one seat left. And if you go to the survivalpodcast.com and scroll down until you find something about it, you can buy that last seat if you want to. It's 500 bucks for two and a half days. I challenge you to feed yourself alone the way that we'll, you'll, we'll feed you while you're here. It's going to be awesome. And uh, I'd like to fill that last seat because if it doesn't fill this week, I'll close it where it is because I have to build the event to the, the number of people coming to it. Awesome. Well, thanks, everybody, for making time for Unloose the Goose gaggle, folks. And if you want to help our podcast, share it with folks. Just unloosethegoose.com is the website. Go to any of your podcatchers. Give us a review. That really helps us out. Unloose the Honk, Goose. Honk, honk, honk. We'll take no views. Your paradigms run out of time and we've got no use. Unloose the Goose.